Aloha, everyone. I am so grateful that you're all here on the live show today. I have another dose of positivity. And we have an incredible guest today. And before I introduce Joan Eflock, which is Dr. Joan from now on, Eflock, I said it right. Eflant. Fland, you guys, yes. just don't call her late for dinner, right? That's what yes, I exactly. Dr. Joan is amazing, and I just want to welcome her and you, all the stewards of the land and the humanitarians and the solutionists, to another episode today. This is where, if you're new to this uh, a dose of positivity, this is where I have the great privilege and the honor to interview passionate change makers, thought leaders, social and environmental innovators, and wellness professionals. And today is an exceptional honor to have Joan here talking, Dr. Joan, about healing from processed food addiction. But before we get started, I just want to remind everybody we are live streaming this on several different channels. We will also have the replay up on our YouTube channel, which we'll put in the chat and also on Spotify. So um, please, um, if you're new, make sure you jot down those uh, links and you'll be happy you did because we have so many other incredible episodes in the past speaking about similar topics, nothing quite like Dr. Joan. But this, um, the, the, the people who are behind and, and ahead of where we're going today, all of them are incredible humans devoting their lives to social and environmental justice and food. Not only does it affect our mood, but it also affects the entire global planetary disarray we are in right now. And our food system has completely is 100% responsible for probably 80% of what's happening. So this is such an important topic. And before we get started, as, as usual, I'm going to just read a short paragraph from my book, um, living one of my books, Living Like the Future Matters, The Evolution of a Soil to Soul Entrepreneur. Um, and I want to make sure you guys understand this book really is about addiction. Um, it's about being addicted to the unattainable, unattainable, attainable American dream. And this, I had a huge bout. I'm a recovering foodaholic. Um, and as you know, you can go into, you know, remission and you can also go on off the wagon. So, um, this book kind of explains my journey and much more. But this comes from a chapter called Root Rot, The Tipping Point, and this is when I fell into addiction. And for those of you who don't know me, I had the first natural foods bakery and cafe in the state of Alaska. I started it in 1982, and I also went national with the first organic cocoa and chocolate syrup in the nation. I was a sugar pusher, so not anymore. But anyway, this, this, this is the chapter you will be getting for free. We're putting the link in the chat right now, and it will also be available in the replay. So, so this is when I was falling into addiction and I realized, um, that what I was doing was, um, not just killing me, but not maybe serving humanity or life kind in, in itself. By the 1980s, fast food franchise, franchise, sorry, I am going to restate that one more time. 
By 1980, fast food fascination had hijacked people's palates. The double drive-through made it easier and faster to get a fix. The masses were led to believe that fast and filling empty calories were okay. No one seemed to know or care that most food services and supermarket establishment dished up food from cans, the freezer, processed in plastic bags, pre-made frozen meals, or the food was deep fried. These products had a list of ingredients only a scientist could understand. Frozen pieces, chicken processed, processed sliced meats, hamburger patties, canned soups, and ready to eat cordon bleu were easy to deal with and more profitable. It appeared the longer the list of ingredients on the label, the more alluring they became to consumers. Cool Whip replaced real whipped cream, and not even one ingredient came from a cow. It was hard to comprehend the lack of transparency in our food system. The system that it can improve the quality of life the fastest. It can improve the quality of life the fastest because everybody eats and we vote with our dollars. An addictive society though is excellent for business. So um, without further ado, I am going to introduce Dr. Joan to everyone right now and we are beyond words thrilled to have you. She is an author, a food addiction specialist, and she has been selected for her expertise by Oprah Winfrey Network, Martha Stewart's Wedding Magazine, Fortune Magazine, and U.S. News and World Report. She founded the online addiction reset community called ARC, A-R-C, in 2018. We'll have the link to that in the chat. She also founded a Facebook group that will also be there for you to um, tap into. It's phenomenal. She provides free support there to thousands of people who are not only just surviving, but thriving in her community. It's the first online reset week also is something she started in 2014. It's the first online video program for withdrawal. ARC Manager Training is a program training future addiction reset community leaders, meaning you can learn a new trade, a new occupation once you heal from your food addiction where you can actually help people with food addiction, which is fantastic, Dr. Joan. Dr. Joan is also the lead author of the first scholarly description of processed food addiction and the definition of addictive foods. She earned her PhD in addictive nutrition at the Union Institute and University in 2010 and her MBA at Stanford Business School in 1978 and her BA in economics and political science at Auburn College. She currently resides in Seattle and I'm encouraging her to come visit me here on the big island of Hawaii where we are live streaming this show to you all right now. So. I am so excited to get started with you, Dr. Joan. I really 
love you. I love your work. And let's talk about um, first a little bit of background of we, we know your degrees and such, but I would like to hear why you got into this whole field of work that is a go for thank it thank you thank you for that introduction that was amazing yeah well you are yeah, so fellow yeah. passionate soul we are yes yes um Let's hear your story i adopted this as a career on january 18th 1996 and that was the day my raging stopped because on January 1st, 1996, 18 days earlier, I had gotten off of sugars and flowers. I was still using alcohol on the weekends. And nonetheless, I was getting the standard profile of miracles. Uh, the bloating stopped, the brain fog stopped, the fatigue stopped, the bloating stopped. The uh, I was losing weight. Uh, the sinus infection, lifetime sinus infection cleared up. Lifetime allergies, eyes and nose running got a lot better. Asthma got a lot better. But on the 18th of January 1996, my raging stopped. And I had had, I, my, my little girls were 11 and 12 years old. And I had determined when they were born that they would grow up in a happy household, dramatically opposed to the household that I grew up in. The household I grew up in was a rageful household, violently rageful, you know, tempered only by sheer cold <laughs> neglect. I had two parents who couldn't have emotions except rage, anger, criticism, irritability, uh, sarcasm, meanness, mm. and an older sister who was following in their footsteps. So there was physical, mental, emotional, spiritual, behavioral abuse there, and just nothing, no great behaviors to follow. And when I had my kids, I was determined that wasn't going to happen, but I would have these episodes where I was out of body. I would be watching myself rage mm. and not and just desperately wanting it to stop. So I did years of personal therapy. This is the kids were born in 83 and 84. And that's all you had. Mm -hmm. And then I found this women's healing group and I did them for a while. And that, that turned out they were using sugar a lot. And I just didn't feel safe around them anymore. And it wasn't working. I was still raging. Mm -hmm. And then I found CODA, Codependence Anonymous, and that didn't work. So there I was in, um, and I and I was a yo-yo dieter all those years. My girls were 11 and 12 years old when I got off the sugars and flowers. So this has been going on for uh, 12, 13 years. And there I was, January 18th, 1996, standing in my kitchen thinking, wow, I really haven't had to yell at anybody in about three weeks. Mm. And it just hit me like a ton of bricks. It mm. wasn't because they were so good. It was because I had stopped yelling. 
And in that moment, I just dedicated my life. I went to my support group that weekend and I said, do people become less irritable on this food plan? And like there were 20 people in the room. Yeah, happens. Where, where, where was this that you did the food plan? I was in Houston at the time. And what was, I was living in Houston? What was and, the uh, I just got the book. I, the, the cool thing was somebody in the Codependence Anonymous 12 step group heard the sugar driving my rage. Mm. And she stopped me a couple of times that year and said, why don't you go into food addicts and recovery? And I couldn't understand why she was asking me at the first time because I was in a thin phase. And by the end of the year, I'd regained the weight. And I said, well, I'll go look. And um, it turned out that, that that's what she was trying to get me to see was that sugar could be producing the behavior that I so desperately wanted to stop. And then it did. What, what was the name of that book, you know? No, I'm not going to share the name of that book because it's it's severely out of date. It's the same food plan that's on our website, Food Addiction Resources. Okay. So it's what the food plan was not the issue. The fact the issue was I got off the sugars and flowers. Yeah. Awesome. The food plan that I was following, I, I transferred the addiction onto excessive salt and processed fats and dairy and uh, other foods because in my 12-step group the only thing you had to be abstinent from was the abstinence list and that was just sugars and flowers so all the other addictive foods i i was still sick for a couple of years but um the fats and the dairy are more stabilizing yeah. so i was still depressed and anxious but in a stable way that wasn't resulting in the eruption of these rage attacks Mm -hmm. So um, if you want to know the food plan, um, if you want to help with this, you can go to our website, processedfoodaddiction.com and yeah. just sign up for the free material you'll get on our email address and you'll be invited to things. That's so, great. Yeah, that was, um, that was the beginning of a 22 year effort to find a reliable way to get people off of processed foods. I didn't really understand what an addiction was. I did a PhD program. I still didn't understand entirely what an addiction was, mm -hmm. but then I wrote the textbook. So here's, it's okay if I hold up the textbook. Oh, God, absolutely. So this yeah. is the textbook for the field. Uh, CRC Press came to me and said, and asked if I would write a textbook for the field, which I did nice. for three years, full time. My dad had just died and he'd left me enough money that I could live and I needed to go back to my hometown of Cincinnati and see my stepmom through the end of her life. And it found this nice little apartment overlooking the Ohio River. And I sat down for three years, full time, really seven days a week and wrote not 70% of the book and got people to contribute the other 30%. That's terrific. Well, I'm sure everybody's going to want to check that out. And I hope people are using it because that is what uh, a, a big part of what ARC is, I'm sure. And, and you, you, the training you put your people through to become food addiction um, coaches, specialists. Yeah. 
Let's talk about that was a little bit of your history of how you got going. And I think that it's so interesting because before you came on, we were waiting for you to come on. I was talking about how when I get anxious or or uptight or nervous, the first thing I do is I think I I start looking for the carbs, you know, or, Mm -hmm. you know, what can I, what can I fill myself with because I'm, I, to, to get rid of this anxious feeling I'm having. And um, so I was sharing what I did, you know, was I had myself some grass-fed beef and avocado with um, a little Bragg's on it and a heaping portion of sauerkraut and totally brought me here, present, Mm -hmm. gave me extra energy. Like you guys, I'm all on fire. I'm 65 and still alive and I'm more than ever. but those are those tools we're going to get into a little later. But let's go. Let's talk about the history of the industrial food complex, the SAD, mm. SAD American diet, the standard American um, double-edged sword diet. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Let's talk about that and and w- the, how it's dictating our our society and how how can we um, not be in denial about it anymore. It's uh, it's amazing. It, now, so I'm close to 27 years doing this. People do seem to now know the story of how the tobacco industry came into the processed food industry in the mid 1980s. They bought Kraft, Nabisco, and General Foods in three short years. And all you have to do is ask yourself, why would somebody who makes their money off of addiction? why would they go into processed foods? Mm-hmm. And it just, it's uh, and suddenly everything becomes clear. Suddenly everything makes sense. These are the same people who addicted two thirds of American adults to smoking. Yeah. So it's a business model. You guys, you heard, I have a business degree from Stanford many years ago, but I'm very interested in business models. This is a business model and it's the addiction business model and it has five A's and the five A's create addiction epidemics. So they are lots and lots of advertising. You have an addicted brain and now you're stimulating it. Lots and lots of availability. It's very easy to get the stuff into your mouth and reinforce the addiction. Lots of uh, affordability. There has to be no barriers to be able to pick it up and reinforce the addiction and then young age of onset and when tobacco came into processed foods the number of saturday morning cartoon commercials Mm -hmm. were already at 150 per morning and within seven years it was 550. yeah and nickelodeon carried those commercials to 65 million households in the Mm -hmm. u.s and you only need five commercial to persuade a, tar- a toddler to choose a product. There's a really, really a good research report on that. And there they were being exposed to 550. Sugar has been shown to be more addictive than cocaine. Yeah. More addictive and destructive. So yeah. this is like, imagine toddlers, small children, young children, probably even into young teenagers being exposed to 550 commercials for cocaine. Mm -hmm. And then you see this evidence that sugar is more addictive than cocaine and destructive. So that's the fourth A, young age of onset. And then the fifth A is 
addictive addictive substances hidden in the seemingly innocent product. So they extracted concentrated extra nicotine and put it into these cigarettes that were fun and sexy and rebellious and relaxing. No, they weren't. They were just an addiction, just a gross, disgusting addiction. But they're masters of deceit, the advertising. Then um, when they came into processed foods, it's like a four-step process to addict somebody without their knowledge. So you start with a seemingly innocent product, like these fun, uh, sophisticated cigarettes. Yeah, and for food, they started with uh, tomato sauce and kids' drinks and mm-hmm. anything that was processed. Then they hired a consultant named Howard Moskowitz, Harvard PhD in experimental psychology of marketing and he had this data process he went around to all the processed food manufacturers and maximized the amount of sugar fat salt in the product right to the point where the consumer could detect it right and he did that for hundreds and hundreds of processed foods so they hid sugar fat salt in these seemingly innocent products. I mean, who would be like, tomato sauce, oh, that's an addictive product, I'm not gonna No, you know, they just, they hid it. And then they then they brought their, their model of constant reminders. So what is an addictive reward center, like dopamine, serotonin, opioid, and cannabinoid? It's when you addict a reward center brain cell, What you've done is you've taught it to release floods of cravings in response to the substance. So then once you have these sensitized uh, craving brain cells, they're all sensitized, then you constantly provoke them with advertising and availability and cheap prices. Mm -hmm. So that's, that's just the next step. And then you you have these people who are gradually, because addictions get worse over time, they go from being somewhat addicted to more addicted, more addicted, mm-hmm. uh, more craving, more of the time until they're obsessing about it and their lives are, they're not, they're not having a life anymore. Their brains are not available to be engaged in life. So that is what happens. Right, so the brain, the brain is dumbed down our bodies are reduced to um, relying on pharmaceuticals, which is also tied into the whole industrial food complex. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the same people who plant our seeds right now are packaging our foods. Like ten, oh, there are ten main food conglomerates that supply eighty percent of the processed foods that are on the shelves, and they're all tied in to these food chemistry rather than regenerative agricultural principles. Oh yeah, yeah. And the, the fact that we're here in free still to have this conversation, no matter how addicted anybody who's listening to this live or in the audience, um, you have a choice. And some people uh, can just turn it off, whereas other people need support. And that's where 
I'm so pleased, Joan, we're going to talk about more about the ARC program towards the end. Thank you. But one of the things that I remember when I was a kid bringing this whole thing with Philip Morris, the cigarette companies and the addiction is like, I had candy cigarettes when I was a kid. I used to walk around and then you ate the candy cigarettes. They were loaded with sugar, maybe not nicotine, but probably some kind of a chemical compound. It was un, un uh, I can't even believe that they, that it's the crimes against these are crimes against oh, these these people have no souls, mm-hmm. no morals, no integrity, just ethics, no. They're just soulless. Yeah. And there's another woman, her name, and we'll put it in the chat. And I know you probably know her, Maureen um, Nestle, with a name like Nestle. She's Marianne Nestle. Marianne Nestle. Yeah. Thank you for the correction there. She has done incredible work um, really exposing this. She's like the Rachel Carson of our day. Yes, she is. She's amazing. She really had has risked everything. Another a brilliant PhD uh, doctor like Dr. Joan, who has exposed a lot of this data. And I encourage all of you to check out. She's also written several books on the on the subject. And um, a lot of these facts are also in Living Like the Future Matters. Um, which mine is done through storytelling, so it's it's not quite as dry, but it, it it'll it'll definitely change changes your perspective. So, the these uh, we we just talked about behavioral changes and the brain chemistry and and food, these food substances, especially sugar, being uh, more addictive than cocaine. So, um, can you talk a little bit about um, how we can rewire that brain what are the things that we can do right now anybody who's listening right now can do to stop the craziness okay so brain cells they're they're very very active if you think of this as being a brain cell they have these dendrites that talk to each other and this is how thoughts are formed this is how behaviors are driven it's these cells that are in constant motion and sending chemical signal signals across synapses. Mm-hmm. So once you know how cells work, brain cells work, then you know exactly what the tobacco industry did to us. So mm-hmm. they made the the reward center, the addiction center is very, very active and they're mm-hmm. constantly shooting off cravings. There's a compensating action in the brain, which is the stressed part of the brain will increase stress because Mm -hmm. if you're too euphoric, you're in danger. You can't uh, defend yourself if, if you're attacked. So the brain will try to bring down the euphoria by increasing stress. Wow. So now you have two overactive parts of the brain, the cravings and the stress. So you are miserable because all you can think about is the food and the stress about knowing what the consequences are and you can't stop it. But there's a, another part of the brain that's affected and that's the frontal lobe. Yeah. This is the where you have rational thoughts. This is where you want to stop. I don't want to do this anymore. And you can't because the blood supply is being pulled back into the reward centers and the stress centers. There's yeah. simply not enough brain energy to run your frontal lobe. 
So when somebody says, I know better and I still do it, what that tells me is that the addicted brain cells are more active than the frontal lobe. There's a competition between the frontal lobe and the addiction. The, the brain cells, once they get control over something, they don't like giving it up. So yeah. the addicted brain cells don't want to give give up control over your life. Okay, so that's, that's something that's really, really helpful to get deep down on the inside is that different parts of your brain are competing with one another. So what do you want to do? What you want to do is you want to calm down the reward pathways and you want to calm down the stress pathways and you want to start activating, stimulating the frontal lobe. Well, gotta take a step back and say, well, what causes the addiction pathways to be hyperactive? What causes those cravings to erupt? Two things, chemicals and cues. So chemicals are sugar, fat, salt, dairy, you know, sugar activates dopamine, flour activates serotonin, the gluteomorphine in flour activates the opioid pathways, dairy activates the opioid pathways, fat activates the, can uh, the cannabis path pathways, cannabinoid pathways, just like marijuana does. These are all named after drugs. Hmm. So different foods activate different pathways, which is why this is so hard to put into remission. So the, the, you start removing cues, you protect yourself from stimulation. You, um, you start cataloging. Where are the cues coming from? Where are the reminders? Where am I reminded of processed foods? Where am I stimulated by the availability of processed foods? Where am I, uh, why am I thinking about it? Oh, because I saw them eating it. Who, what are the associated cues? Like what are the places that trigger me? Who are the people who trigger me? What is the time of day that triggers me? What is the time of year that triggers me? What is the season that triggers me? And you will start to realize that you are blanketed. The, the, this industry has no, there's no like, anti-smoking advertising for this industry. They got smart. They corrupted whoever they had to corrupt on the way in. And there just, there's no restraint. Yeah. So, um, and then the, the, you eliminate the addictive foods, the sugar, the flour, the gluten, the excessive salt, the dairy, the excessive fat, the caffeine and the food additives. So that is easier said than done. If it was just, oh, now I know what to do and people would go and do it, that would be great, but that's not how addictions work. Even people who look like they were able to stop, if the addiction didn't get treated, the addiction transferred. So now they have a problem with gambling or spending or sex or romance novels or video games or web surfing addiction transferred or they've got an addiction to prescription drugs or uh, alcohol or recreational drugs right. so the people who look like oh they were able to stop it's much more likely that they transfer the addiction it takes a concerted effort to have to train those reward center brain cells to stop craving
and especially in, in, in our young kids, it's harder and harder. It's more rampant. Just something I wanted to kind of go over that, that you just shared. Thank you so much for that was really powerful information. Um, and, and it's something that I've studied for years too. And it's mm-hmm. being, being addicted to the unattainable, unattain, uh, unattainable, unsustainable American dream. This goes very deep rooted, um, very complex in, in order to separate our, these addictive pathways when we're talking about transforming your addiction from one thing to another, like some, you don't have to be fat to have addicted to processed food. Some of the skinniest people who are the sickest people are even more addicted. They're living on Cheetos and Mm -hmm. peanut butter and jelly sandwiches, Mm -hmm. Um, or they're compulsive dieters and anorexic and, or bulimic, um, all of these chronic um, dis- diseases that came out of this chemical imbalance that you're yeah. talking about, yeah. Yeah. which is unast- un- un- unsustainable for it's, a long the, time. The, the most addictive substances are the sugar, sugars and the fats. Mm-hmm. And when you combine them, they're more addictive than either one by itself. And they just... Yeah they prevent cells from working. So much sugar and fat is getting into the cell. The mitochondria is turning it to energy as fast as it can. Mm-hmm. But there, the debris from that process, the, the trash from it, the waste from it, is building up inside the cell. Right. And the fats are of such low quality that the cell is not able to, able to make a functioning membrane out of it. So you, you have, I mean, here in our recovery community we've seen almost every disease go into remission we're just on the verge we're going to present a new service um so our core has always been recovery from processed food addiction but we're going to take that from a different angle and present a service called the remission optimistic company for people who have been given uh, no, this is not going away, you have to take medication for it for the rest of your life or go home and get your affairs in order. For people who've got an uncurable diagnosis. And um, why are we so confident about that? It's because we've already seen it for five years now, we've had the community, we've already seen these things go away. So we're going to package them in a more structured, easier to access, more systematic, approach so that people who have these diagnoses and really want to get their body functioning in order in quickly they have access to spirituality and they have access to how to develop your intuition how to get control of your medical services uh, exercise how to release negative emotions how to increase positive and of course most importantly how to radically change your diet so this is, um, you know, we just, the science is there. Yeah. We see you put in the sugar and fat, the person gets sick or the, the, the laboratory rat gets sick, diabetes, fatty liver, you take that out and they go back to normal. Right. It's just astonishing and very traumatic 
and very reliable and very understandable and very explainable. It's just what you were saying earlier. It's just, it's just so darn profitable. Mm-hmm. Nobody can stop it. Well, one thing that you said that I just wanted to go back on is that if you get control of this processed food addiction or the sugar addiction, the brain is already developed a certain way. So those addictions also often transfer to gambling or porn, whatever that addiction might be shopping. So how is, how is your community? How are you working with those individuals? Like I'm off sugar, I'm off this, but you know, I'm, I'm out what doing, doing the porn scene now. Mm-hmm. So how do we, how do we stop that? Okay. So this is training. You're replacing this profit seeking messaging with, um, recovery messaging. And this is exactly, to, exactly to your question is why we broadcast over zoom or a conference call 17 hours out of every 24. Mm-hmm. The, the whole strategy here is to protect yourself from craving messaging, addictive messaging, and don't forget stress messaging because the stress pathway will activate the addiction pathway. Just like the stress pathway will bring down euphoria. If you're too stressed out, your lovely body will start increasing dopamine and make you feel better. Mm-hmm. So they're, they're two really, I mean, at least two main streams of messaging. It's not just the chemicals, it's the messaging that will make these neurons start to talk to each other in a different way. So with 17 hours a day, and then we have a huge library of videos where if there's nothing on, like for the uh, seven hours a day when we're not broadcasting, you can go into the library and get out videos so that you can maintain a constant stream of safe, recovery messaging that will block out the addictive messaging and the stress messaging. Yeah, what do you, that's, what that's do very specific mm-hmm. um, engineering on our part. We know exactly what needs to happen and we're making it easy. So mm-hmm. you're out, you're doing errands, you're getting bombarded by availability, by smells, by seeing people on the street, eating and drinking this stuff. All you have to do is open your your phone, get on Zoom, and um, you're blocking out that stimulating messaging, and your brain is just soaking in calming messaging. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, we also have uh, points during the day when we deliberately stimulate the, the frontal lobe. We're challenging the frontal lobe to bring it back online. Oh, I just love that you have these systems in place. This is so great. And my training, I'm a certified health coach. It was always the way the way you eliminate something is not talking about depriving yourself, but adding in. And I have a couple of questions from people in the chat that I'd love to address and then um, uh, share some really exciting stuff with you guys. Yeah. Um, but, you know, someone was asking, you know, why is sugar so addicting? Like sugar itself, like if you eat sugar cane, like people in the Caribbean and, and people uh, all, all over the, uh, where sugar cane is grown, they chew on the sugar cane to, to clean their teeth. They have no cavities. But why? It's not the sugar cane, the actual sugar plant, but it's the processing of the sugar. And would you just talk about that a little bit more? It's the concentrating. 
Mm-hmm. It is it is the processing. If you um, if you have ever eaten something like oat groats, you know you have to chew them a long time. <laughs> they take so long. They're natural endorphins in plants. They're natural endorphins. It's not like mother said, well, you got to eat so you don't die. It, she made it pleasant, you know, so that if you do eat, you do get a little dopamine, serotonin, opioid, cannabinoid release. It's pleasant. Yes. It's when you concentrate those natural endorphins, you take out the fiber, you powder it, or you crystallize it, or you turn it into a liquid or a syrup, that all of those endorphins whoosh, rush up to the brain and create that volcano, that eruption of cravings. That's an addiction. That's a drug. It's no longer a food. What 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 do you think about fruit sugar and and other sugar substitutes like monk fruit or agave? What do you think about other? No, absolutely not. Because once those reward centers are sensitized to sweet taste, we have a tendency to like sweet taste. Period. Mm-hmm. Because it's a concentration of carbohydrates, it's uh, you will live longer, less likely to be poisoned. So less likely to be a poisonous plant. A sweet plant is less likely to be a poisonous plant. So bitter plants are more likely to be poisonous. So uh, uh, over evolution, humans developed a preference for sweet tasting plants. So you already have that basis. And then you get this drug associated with a sweet taste. And then these reward centers are so sensitive that even the littlest, tiniest concentrated sweet taste will just send them into eruption. It doesn't make any difference what the sweet taste is comprised of. Like a lot of people with whose who's, uh, reward centers are so sensitized, they can't even eat high sugar fruit. Mm-hmm. So it's all a big scam. It's, oh, it doesn't have any calories. Well, that actually makes it worse. Now mm-hmm. you have disrupted sugar Uh, and sugar absorption issues because you have this concentrated sweet taste and then there's no sugar in your body. But the concentrated sweet taste has caused your pancreas to release a flood of insulin, thinking, oh my gosh, there must be a lot of sugar coming and there's no sugar. So you're saying you're saying no monk fruit, no stevia, nothing sweet, but what are you saying about a pear or an apple or an orange? Yeah, yeah. There's some people who are so sensitive they can't eat fruit. Like uh, my favorite fruit is an apple. I would take an apple over a pear. A pear now th- these days just feels kind of sweet. Um, I would take uh, blueberries or strawberries mm-hmm. over uh, a pear. Yeah, I mean, I eat, I eat peaches when they're in season. So for two or three months out of the year, great peaches. Yeah. Uh, watermelon. I can, I've just started to reintroduce watermelon. Yeah. So everybody is quite different. We teach That's a method a, yeah. of uh, researching foods for yourself and you putting together your own list of foods that work for you. It depends on where you are at that addiction level is kind of what I hear you're saying. And what kind of, once you can manage that, like maybe initially getting off addiction, you have to go through a thing. Uh, of of completely food uh, eliminating anything that's sweet is mm-hmm. what I'm, anything with flour anything with fats these um, processed vegetables. Um, well, yes, you have to eat fat. Uh, you need those fatty acids. 
So, but my fat is measured. I add two teaspoons of a high quality cold pressed virgin organic olive oil to Mm -hmm. my breakfast, lunch, and dinner. And uh, that assures me that I'm getting fats into my system. Well, someone's asking that for you to share like a typical typical day of your eating that you would recommend for anybody who's trying to get off of this roller coaster. I absolutely don't have a meal plan to recommend. Here's what I recommend. Um, I recommend that you make a list of all the proteins, whether they're plant proteins or animal proteins, all the proteins that you eat. So if you're, if you're an animal protein eater, you eat beef, you eat uh, mutton and lamb, you eat chicken, you eat turkey, you eat pork, you eat um, shellfish, and you eat fish. And so Monday is your beef day. Day, week after week after week. Thursday is your pork day. And Tuesday is your shellfish day. But you, but Tuesday, you eat shellfish all day long. Week after week after week. You do the same thing with fruits. There are easily seven categories of fruit, seven categories of vegetables, seven categories of starches, seven categories of fats. And you start to notice, hmm, on Monday, my lips are swollen. And you know exactly which four foods are causing it. It's only one. That happened to me. Every Mm. Monday, my lips were swollen. My Monday, I don't forget what my Monday was, but Monday was apple day, apple pear. They're in the same family. And that's how I found out that I was allergic to apples. And then uh, Thursday is fish day. Or maybe you're vegan. So Monday is Monday and Tuesday are beans. Uh, Wednesday and Thursday is um, quinoa. Friday and Saturday are amaranth, and you have a day of buckwheat. Whatever. You just have those are your days for week after week after week. I noticed. I figured out that my serving of fish had to be much, much bigger than what I was uh, giving myself because uh, I was just starving on fish days. So mm. the amount that was suggested in the book was not the amount that worked for me. We just had a new member come in from a um, a group that has a very rigid food plan. You may not deviate one molecule off of it. And it's the same food plan for life. And this person, um, I don't know how old she was. She's, I'm 71, so maybe she was in her late 60s or 70s. She was so happy when she came into our group. And we said, oh, no, 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 no. You figure out whether you can eat starches. You figure out what your vegetable program or your vegetable serving sizes are. You figure out which ones make you feel good and which ones make you feel bloated. Yeah. So she was in the program maybe three or four weeks. She came on one day and she said, I'm so happy. I was eating too much food. And I was on that same food plan when when I started. But I don't know, I'm 71. I don't know whether it was 10 years ago or whenever when I started cutting back on my starch servings. So me, I I don't eat anything like the food plan I ate in 1996. So uh, everybody's food plan 
And when I say in our community, we all eat the same food plan. It's a customized, highly individualistic, well-researched, lots of data collected food plan. And my nobody else could survive on my food plan. There's like every three or four days, I will add in um, a serving of a, a low carb starch. I just feel like I'm not getting enough food. I'll stand in my living room. If I've had a really active day, I'll stand in my living room at the end of the day and say, oh, have you had enough food to eat today? It doesn't feel like it. Like I feel like I'm gonna wake up hungry during the night and I'll just go get something more to eat. Like what would you go to for something more to eat? Like I would have a fruit and a, um, a two ounce serving of protein would be a snack for me. Yeah, wow. Say, say that one more time. You'd have a fruit? A fruit and two ounces, either two ounces of animal protein or three ounces of plant protein. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah, so yeah. It is, it's a, it, I know it is a, a real individual, bio-individuality. Um, mm -hmm. That's the term. And someone's asking about, um, you know, coconut oil as far as a fat. Sure, sure. So, mm -hmm. If that works for you, if you like it, um, yeah. Yeah. Well, well, here's one thing that I wanted to add to this conversation because we have some new people in here. If you go to my, uh, we'll put it in the chat, but DonnaMaltz.com or in our Ecospired by Nature site, I do culinary classes and I help yeah. people with their food plans. We learn to make bone broth, sauerkraut, how to eat low carb and um, you know sugar free, all the all those things, and just to help people specifically get tuned in with their diets because it can be very you know disheartening going to a dietitian who has studied the under the conventional medicine uh, doctors uh, just atrocious what that doctors don't even have any nutrition training in in college um they go through all those years of med school um uh, i just i just think it's really important like what you're saying joan is is really find out what works best for you but when you have a food addiction that's really hard to do so it's really good to get help and it's really good to identify what those triggers are it's really hard just on your own to necessarily yeah, it's, not, it's not realistic don't blame yourself if you've tried doing this on your own there right. is a spoiler in the brain and that is your urge to imitate this is uh, it's almost a subconscious it is a subconscious survival mechanism you wanted to to do what your tribe is doing because if they were going to look for food you wanted to go with them look for shelter fight off the predator you wanted to be a, a group in motion in synchronicity all the time and, and, and so we have a very powerful imitation urge in our brain it's a very specialized system of brain cells called mirror neurons and if you try to do this on your own and you're surrounded by people who are eating processed foods your mirror neurons will not let you succeed they're too terrified that you'll be too different from your tribe and you will die Mm -hmm. That's a it's a primitive message, but oh my goodness, it's still highly operating. So this is another reason why we broadcast 17 hours a day. It's very easy if your imitation urge starts to you, know, you see all these people in line at the fast food place, and your imitation urge says, "Oh no no no, we need to be in that line too, or else we'll die." Yeah, you can just open up your phone, and your imitation urge is now attached to this 
healthy ARC members. And then you're, oh, yeah, 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 I remember those people. Oh, they're still here? Oh, okay, well, we're okay. No, we don't have to get in that line. Right. It's, it's not a decision-making process. It's not that part of the brain at all. It's the it's this system of mirror neurons that copy, copy part of the brain. Yeah. Well, th this is so good, and I, we don't have. We're actually up, about past the hour, but I wanted to. I want to touch on a few things, and then make sure we get all your links in, and everybody gets to copy the chat. But one of the things that helped me um, get over my processed food addiction and um, helped helped me helps me stay sane all the time well part of it was you know journaling and, and writing this book like you you learned writing your textbook but it's called living living like the future matters for a reason and when you when you anything you 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 when you go to buy anything whether it's clothing but specifically food is this living like the future matters how is my food choice when i buy this box of uh, lucky charms for my kid gonna affect affect their future yeah how is anything i touch gonna affect the future but not just the future of my child but the future of the ecosystem of the mother earth which is desperately depleted she is drained she is we have 60 years of farmable soil left the amount there's something that we don't talk about much in the whole processed food uh, industry and all of this food that we're we're, we're taking in is the amount of packaging that goes in to these processed foods, the cardboard, the plastics, the fillers, the tin, the cans of Coca-Cola. All of these are being mined. All of these are being farmed from the resources of the earth. It's exactly. not just agriculture, but it's the packaging that's taking 70% of the resources so that we can eat this sick American diet. Well, you know, Americans eat almost twice the number of calories they need. So when you drive through central, you drive through any part of the U.S., you see miles and miles of corn and wheat. Those are drug crops. And they don't need to, they're not nourishing anybody. They don't need to be there. That could all be put back into grasslands or forest lands. I need to go run a workshop. And I am so, just so I could stay here for the rest of the day and part of tomorrow too, Donna. Right. Any cl any closing words? Should we exchange I, closing words? Yes, I think we should. But one of the things, and I want to ch fact check this, but somebody, one of our viewers just said that yesterday, the Food and Drug Administration cleared that lab-grown meat created from cultured animal cells for human consumption is 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 on the rise. It's, it's going to happen, and that is another hugely dangerous thing that we all have to be Don't aware of. That, Anything guys. that's created in a lab and not grown from the soil or harvested from the sea, that I mean, like Michael Pollan says, travel for the the four corners of the grocery store and forget the rest. I mean, if you can discipline yourself to do that, and one of the other things you can do is, if you can afford it, hire someone to shop for you because you 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 won't believe. Or order online, get it delivered. Oh, get uh, just it delivered. just skip all that queuing. Right. Skip. All right. Thank you. Hey, are, does that mean you're leaving us right now? I need to go run a, a conference call. It's okay. Thursday here in Seattle, and um, this is one of my one of the hours that I'm on on the air which is so great and we're going to let you go and just so you know when we let you go if everybody stays on 
for another minute. We are going to put all her Jones, uh, Dr. Jones um, links in here. I urge you all to go check out the Facebook group and go to the ARC. And I want to thank you so, so much uh, for, for doing that. And for everybody who's still on, well, Joan, you have anything you want to say? Because I know you are, you need to go. You know, I, I really want to make clear that none of this is your fault. You didn't ask, nobody called you up and said, would you like a devastating addiction that might lead to amputations? <gasps> no, nobody ever called you. Nobody ever gave you a chance. They just started sneaking these excessive amounts of sugar, right. fat, salt in your food. So don't blame yourself. Right on. You are such a gem. We love you. We're so grateful for your time today. Thank you. Thank and you. I appreciate well, you. We will we will put this out in the replay and get it all over the place because you're awesome. All right. Thank you so all much. Right. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye-bye, everybody. If anybody else is uh, still on after Dr. Joan, um, I didn't know, Alan, you just came on late, so you'll you'll have to catch the replay. Um, You know, I felt like she came on late and we didn't really...